0: This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Bank of America. What would you like the power to do? You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom
1: to life on stage. On Thursday, November 29th, House Speaker Paul Ryan appeared at The Washington Post for one of his final interviews before leaving Capitol Hill's top job. In a wide-ranging conversation led by Washington Post's senior congressional correspondent, Paul Kane, Ryan reflects on his two-decade-long tenure in Congress and discusses his political future. He talks about his working relationship with President Donald Trump and looks ahead to the policy agenda his colleagues will pursue during the 116th Congress. Let's listen.
0: Good morning, everyone. Hey, morning. Uh, Fred gave an amazing introduction, as always. Um, Just to add a few other things, just for sort of data details. Paul Ryan is the 54th Speaker of the House. He's led the House for more than three years. In a couple weeks, he will step down. We're delighted to have him here at The Washington (laughs) Post for what will be one of his final uh, interviews as House Speaker. Before we begin, we'd like to let the audience know that you can tweet some questions at, at us uh, for speaker ryan using the hashtag uh hashtag 202 live and we'll try to get some of them uh on air um all right let's just get this right out of the way the, oh great the, some of the crowd doesn't know explain the face <coughs> it's deer hair. season okay, deer okay. Season. Yeah, so. all right <laughs> okay is this going to be a permanent thing uh, no You're it's just
1: usually it, it doesn't let it be a permanent thing so i basically have it for effectively the month of december usually end of november and throughout most of december it's what i do typically every december
0: okay <clears throat> I uh, just wanted to make sure you know some guys head into retirement some of you yeah, I don't know. I'll leave.
1: see if I can get away with it but I'm not sure I'll be allowed to do that
0: okay um up on Capitol Hill right now the incoming speaker-to-be Nancy Pelosi is battling an ideological flank in her <laughs> caucus you're laughing already um she's not sure if she can get the 218 votes um <clears throat> sound familiar
1: yeah. yeah, I saw her last night. We did this uh, Churchill thing together. It was Winston Churchill's uh, 144th birthday, and we do this sort of ceremony in, in that Capitol, and Nancy and I did that together. And, and I congratulated her on her caucus vote, and I, I offered my condolences. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it does sound familiar. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's a
0: function of politics today. Do you think it is uh, the Democrats will go through the similar growing pains of being in the majority the same way John Boehner and yourself, for eight years, seem to constantly have this
1: Yes, I do, I do, I do. Uh, I'm not going to get into speculating floor votes and things like that, Sure. but already you can see. uh, The reason I am speaker is because uh, my predecessor, John Boehner, um, Mm -hmm. went through all of that. Uh, I ended up becoming the consensus person, kind of drafted into it uh, because we went through those torturous, you know, kind of machinations. And I see that they will probably have the same experiences. Uh, Their party, now that they're the majority, is a wider uh, party, ideologically speaking. Um, Our majority is the same. And it's the 21st century where uh, the internet um, can allow a person to become a celebrity pretty quickly um, by being an entertaining figure. And uh, those incentive structures are in place for both parties, for anybody.
0: They say, Democrats often say, that they're the party that actually loves governing, though. They don't like to blow things up. And that's a Republican uh, instinct, that the, the Freedom Caucus, uh, the Tea Party are more inclined to blow up government. Um, do you, you disagree I, with that?
1: I think I do now. I, I could see that case being made a decade or two ago, but I don't think that that's necessarily the case. Uh, take a look at our just the session we're completing. We will have passed over 1,000 bills out of the House. That is a record pace. You haven't seen a pace like that since the early 1980s. So, And by the way, over 80% of those bills are bipartisan bills. It uh, doesn't get a lot of play, but um, that's what I would call governing. For the first time in 22 years, uh, 75% of all discretionary spending is done. It's passed. It's in law. It's on time ahead of, ahead of the fiscal year deadline. You know these things. Uh, sure. So I'd say we... we we became a pretty good governing party, uh, and you know we lost a midterm election. Those things happen, um, but but I think we've become a pretty good governing party, and they're going to have the same growing pains we had. They will have the same political friction and tug and pull, just in different directions than what we had.
0: Uh, we have to ask this question: in The Washington Post. We've got, you know, we're, we're the hometown paper for the federal workforce. You guys are going to be shut down. Yeah, well, you, you funded seventy five percent of the government, not hundred um, percent. The president seems to be adamant <clears throat> in trying to force this showdown over the border wall. Five billion dollars. What's going to happen?
1: Well, we, first of all, border security is very important. It really is important. It's important if only to stop the flow of fentanyl and heroin coming into our our schools. Uh, it's important because of the lawlessness at the border. So that's I know. People want to just say it's about Trump and the wall. It really is more than that. It's about whether or not we are in control of our borders or not. And there are a lot of national security implications with that. So this we do take as a very serious issue. There is border wall funding in place. The question is, do we have enough to, to make the kind of progress we want to make on securing the border? And that's where we believe within the spending caps, more resources mm-hmm. are needed. And those debates, that's, that's going on right now. Dick Shelby, Rodney Friedlingheisen... And their counterparts are negotiating this while we speak right now. So our hope is that we can get a successful conclusion. At the end of the day, because the Senate has 60 votes on this stuff, uh, the White House uh, and the Senate Democrats, in particular, are going to have to find common ground in order to get an appropriation bill that we can agree to and move.
0: But Trump seems to want this shutdown. <clears throat> trump um i don't he, think
1: that's the case well, i think trump wants the wall he wants the
0: border security he doesn't want a shutdown. he wants to get border security he called uh with our good friend jake sherman and palmer <laughs> the other day uh in an interview he said that issue is a total winner he believes that he can that it is a winner for him um both in terms of the border wall immigration and if it's a, if there's a shutdown he believes he can win And that seems to indicate to a lot of us that he sort of wants one.
1: Yeah. Well, we met with him in the the Oval a couple of days ago. Uh, He thinks the issue of border security is a winner. I don't know that. Maybe he's. I don't know what he said to Jake, but I don't think he sees a shutdown as a winner. I think he sees border security as a winner. Look, I just see it as the right thing to do because it is necessary for lots of reasons. Uh, We don't want to have a shutdown. There's, there's no. I have no interest in doing that. That makes no sense. I would like to see progress on border security, which. By the way, back in what was it? Oh six? We passed um, the Secure Fence Act, and you know Chuck Schumer, Hillary Clinton, and everybody else voted for that. I voted for that. So this used to be a bipartisan issue. It has all of a sudden become partisan for ridiculous reasons, in my opinion. And it should be bipartisan securing our border.
0: Were you a staffer in '95, '96 during those mm-hmm. shutdowns? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Were, you, <laughs> were I was. you sent home, or were you deemed?
0: <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, <laughs>
1: Let's see. I was uh, I was the LD in, for Brown back in those days, and so I, I don't. I think we did send a bunch of people home, but
0: I, I wasn't okay. one of them. Um, do you ever think it was uh, early October two thousand fifteen? Boehner had already sort of dropped the mic and said he was going to leave. Your friend Kevin McCarthy was going to be the speaker. It seemed. Yeah. Do you ever think what would have happened if instead? Of what McCarthy falling short, if you had just sort of stayed at Ways and Means? Yeah, I certainly thought about it. <laughs> uh, I was going to give his nominating speech to the
1: conference, and he called me 10 minutes before the conference, said, I, You know, he, I don't have the votes. I'm not doing this. You're, I'm going to nominate you. I'm like, The hell you are. <laughs> no way, excuse me. Uh, so, and
0: it's okay. It's I just wanted to get out of town. Yeah, so I, I did not,
1: I really didn't want to do the job. Uh, I loved, I always wanted to be the Ways and Means chair. It's why I never ran for the Senate. I wanted to be the Ways and Means chair because of the issues I really care about. And uh, I loved where I was. I'm not a hyper ambitious guy. I really actually am not. And I just wanted to go to Ways and Means. And uh, I went home. We had a one week recess, and um, the pressure kind of mounted. And then it became kind of clear to me that just out of a sense of duty, I needed to do it. And what I liked about the moment was I could do it on my terms. And this is the benefit that Nancy does not now have. And, And I think. I think it's regretful. Uh, I got to go and be speaker on entirely my terms. And our members knew I didn't need it, didn't necessarily want it, but was happy to do it joyfully and happily. And and I'm really glad I did. I I feel very, I'm glad, I'm happy I did this. But I got to go into it in a situation where I didn't have to conditionalize it on anybody else's conditions but my own. And that was a great benefit to me huge benefit to me.
0: Do you think then that she's sort of undercut some of her own power? I think she'll regret that. Because she's making <clears throat> deals, she's giving out yeah, committee look, assignments. It's not my job. I don't want
1: to undercut or, or mess with her, but because I, I understand what she's going into, but it was an extreme benefit to me uh, with the various caucuses and conferences and factions we had that uh, I didn't need to do it, and if they push me too far, I can just leave. And uh, it was helpful to me.
0: Did you ever come close to just leaving? Uh, I never had to.
1: I never had to. Uh, The thing is, I'm a conservative, and uh, Jim Jordan and I do not agree on tactics for the most part, but we generally agree on philosophy. We generally agree on policy. Mm -hmm. I'm just using J.J. as an example. He was the head of the Freedom Caucus at the time. Uh, And so they never really second-guessed my convictions and they always knew where I wanted to go. And the reason I think we were successful as a majority in passing all of these bills, we passed everything we wanted to pass. The, the health care bill we passed.
0: You passed it out of the house.
1: Out of the house, that's what I mean, out of the house. Okay. And everything else we pretty much got into law. Uh, it's because, and I think that the key, key, key thing was get everyone to agree ahead of time, what's the plan? What are we going to do? What, what do we believe? What do we want to achieve? What's the plan? And then literally lay out a timeline and then hold everyone accountable to it. And so as the sessions went on in year one, two, and three, I just kept going back to the members like, remember, we agreed to do this. Remember, this was the strategy. Like appropriations. Some people didn't like the appropriation strategy that we had launched last May. Uh, Chuck and Mitch and I basically decided here's how we want to proceed to actually get appropriations back on the track. Some people didn't like that. I said, you guys, remember, we agreed to do it this way this is the strategy to actually write these bills and get them in law and so it it, organizing a conference on predetermined outcomes and timelines and getting buy-in ahead of time allows you to hold people accountable to fulfilling that obligation throughout the entire session that to me is the the absolute way to organize a a session or in a a caucus they call it a caucus we call it a
0: conference sure Um, do you worry that in sort of the long view of things you passed a lot of bills and You know history is not going to say oh my gosh they passed five appropriations bills on time Um, do you worry about the big issues of immigration debt that you
1: those are the two ones that you just had to mention that I think are are the two regrets that I wish we could have gotten done which is bigger everything well debt but uh it is one yeah yeah but let me back up for a second okay Um, I think history is gonna be very good to this majority why The tax system was atrocious. I spent my adult life working on tax reform, ever since I did it with Jack Kemp uh, working on the issue. We really did have the worst tax system in the industrialized world, and it was hollowing out American competitiveness. We have now put underneath the economy a far, far stronger foundation for a healthy economy and growth because of that. Uh, I was extremely worried about our national security posture, meaning our military. We have now put underneath that a much stronger foundation. Uh, What I've been saying to my staff all along and our members is our job in the majority is to improve the health uh, and the the, the antibodies uh, of of the American economy, of the American system. So what we were aiming to do was strengthen America's resilience, America's health, America's antibodies, so whatever comes our way. You know, I've been through 9-11 and TARP and all these things. Whatever comes our way, we are stronger and better prepared for those things. I really believe that we have done that in this last two-year session. So there are so many things that we've done. Look, I, I was working on enterprise zones when I was 23 years old. It's the law of the land now. We call them opportunity zones. So I'm so excited about so many of the things we've done. But to go up to your question, I'm not trying to filibuster $21 trillion. To go to your question, it is debt and immigration are the two big issues that if we get right in this country, we will, we will have a great 21st century if we get those two issues right. What are those issues specifically with debt? It is health care reform. Health care reform is health care entitlements. Healthcare entitlements, aging of baby boomers, health inflation, that is the driver of the debt that's got to get dealt with. I really believe the bill we passed out of the House, as flawed as it was written because we had to use Senate rules, was still excellent legislation, which would have made a huge difference on health care itself and on debt and deficits. It's the one that got away. Uh, on immigration, I really liked the—I call it the Curbelo bill. It was good luck, too— the immigration compromise bill
0: that I put on the floor in July, uh, which satisfied the president's four pillars. The one that got a majority of Republicans, a bare majority. Bare, yeah. But no other Democrats. That's right. So
1: I think the Democrats decided to take their toys and go away, meaning they weren't going to engage with us on this issue. I think they felt they had a political advantage for the moment. There are a lot of Democrats on the floor who told us, this is a pretty good bill. Uh, so is, is, if we can put the partisan knives down on the immigration issue, which both sides do— uh, we fix that, and we get the debt under control, there's no stop in our country. Because we already have, I think, good foundation for economic growth. I think the Fed is, by the way, on the right track, normalizing. Mm-hmm. We've got a, a regulatory posture that's pretty good. We've got a great tax system in place. You get debt and immigration right, we real. Re- the fundamentals are in a good place. That's, those are the two things that's
0: got to get done. If the tax bill is so good, why has it not resonated with the public, and why did it not sell... In the midterm election it, it
1: actually did in many ways we pushed it hard from the house but it was not the issue that was on the front of people's minds at the time I think
0: was that issue on the front of Donald J Trump's mind? It,
1: I think the immigration issue is more on the front of his mind I think I think the caravan was was you know on TV a lot uh, my own view was uh, I would rather talk about the economy and how successful it was When we had the opportunity to talk about those things, it was spectacular. I was with Randy Holkren, who lost, Mm -hmm. a district that that joins mine, at Scott Forge, a really cool company that's an ESOP in Mm -hmm. Illinois and Wisconsin. And they just went through this big tutorial about how successful tax reform was for them, more benefits, more jobs, hiring more people, buying more equipment, everywhere I went across the country. I mean, in three weeks in October, I did... uh, 50 cities, 12 states, 25 members, uh, and everywhere we went, there were phenomenal stories about how tax reform was really improving economic growth in businesses and take-home pay. Good story to tell. It got overshadowed.
0: How many times did you try to tell the president? I don't know. (laughs) You lost count. Yeah, I lost count. You literally lost count. Because if you look at the moment you took the, the speaker's gavel, I think you guys were at 247. Yeah, I think that's right. And um, you're passing off the conference to McCarthy, and it's 201 or two 200. yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, how much of that blame falls on on you? I'm not, a, well, okay, I thought you were going to ask me a different question. Uh, it falls on you. <laughs> did you assume it was going to be Trump? Yeah, yeah, You assumed it I was going to be a Trump nothing question. But Trump questions. Well, then, okay, ask, uh, no, no, answer uh, both. It's, uh, how much of it falls on you? I think history has a lot to do with it. Historically,
1: historically, it's a 32 seat loss. We were close, we're somewhere around there uh i think i think that was part of the problem um and if you look at the crunch of the numbers uh it's a few things first of all suburban voters that's the number one liability we experienced pennsylvania redistricting and california just defies logic to me we 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 had a lot of wins that night we were only down 26 seats the night of the election and three weeks later, we lost basically every contested California race. This this election system they have, uh, I, I can't begin to understand what ballot harvesting is. But so I think California.
0: You, do you think there's something wrong with it? No, I
1: just think it's weird. I mean, okay. in Wisconsin, you know, we knew like the next day, you know, Scott Walker, my friend, I, you know, I was sad to see him lose, but but he, we accepted the results on Wednesday, you know, so... You know, I think we had California, uh, their, their system is bizarre. I still don't frankly understand it. Uh, there are a lot of races there we should have won and we got massively outspent. I mean, big time outspent. You got a couple billionaires dropping hundred million dollars on your head. Uh, and that, that, that leaves a mark. And so we got massively outspent. Uh, we had midterm headwinds, which are traditional things. And we do, we do have to face out that there's a suburban voter issue that we have to
0: attend to, which, which was what our concern was all along. Uh, one of your close friends is uh, Elise Stefanik uh, yeah. from New York. She was an advisor to you mm-hmm. on the VP uh, campaign in 2012. Um, she, she told me a week or two ago that she's just, she's enraged uh, about what has happened with women, uh, both women voters in the, the just the running away from the Republican Party and the number of women left in the conference. It's yeah. fallen from twenty-three, which isn't necessarily a good number, but historically good uh for Republicans, down to thirteen. You guys elected one new Republican woman. Um wh- what can your successor, what can your party do to go out and find women to run yeah. and appeal to women, suburban is, women. Is get
1: Elise to to go back to doing a great job. She was and we put her in charge of recruiting. She said she doesn't she, want to do that anymore. I know, anymore. but she she's, needs to she's change she's her mind. Mad.
0: I know. <laughs> she says she wants to go... Uh, so I'm obviously practice.
1: a big fan of Elisa. Yeah. I mean, she's one of the most talented members of Congress we have, and I see her as a big part of our future. Uh, she did a great job recruiting we had spectacular women uh,
0: running but then why didn't what what does the party need to do to back that up she recruited over a hundred women look at maria salazar
1: i thought maria i thought she was gonna win maria this is against Donald shalala i was down there in that area uh late october i thought she was a spectacular candidate Mm -hmm. and again uh the headwinds of the midterm and all the other factors i think you know washed against us just like they did against the democrats in 2010 those things happen it doesn't mean you give up. It means you go back at it and you go and recruit great candidates like
0: Elise did and get them to run again. And so that's just kind of how I see it. Hey, on the California thing, when you mm-hmm. said ballot harvesting, um, I'm, I'm no expert in California. Neither uh, am I. I. don't even begin so to understand do, like, what, is that, what is ballot harvesting? You, you know, you should
1: do a story on it. <laughs> Honestly, I don't I, really understand what it okay. is. Is you don't have to... The way the absentee ballot program used to work and what it works now, it's, it just seems pretty loosey-goose. Point being when you have candidates that win the 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 absentee ballot vote win the day of the vote and and then lose three weeks later because of provisionals Mm -hmm. that's really bizarre and so i I just think that that's a very very strange outcome when when you win the absentee ballots and you win the in-person vote where i come from you win the election if you then and you're up six points or something like that it's really bizarre so my only point is i'm not saying there's anything nefarious about it is
0: there
1: uh I, I just don't know but we re- believed we were up about six seats in in california the night of the election now i think we lost just about every single one of those
0: uh but do you, are you would you want the i, I don't know states the state are in charge of their election the system state attorney general so, to review this no i'm or? not gonna, i'm not
1: getting to that my only point is we you know we, javier becerra you could call him up yeah i'm sure he'll love to take my call um <laughs> All I'm saying is we took it in the chin in California yeah, and we took it in the chin in Pennsylvania and we had a midterm drag against us. That's my point.
0: Okay. Um, Mitt Romney has been a mentor in in a lot of ways to you. You're still close good friend. friends. Yeah. Um, what, did he call you up and ask your advice and did was there ever a hesitation where you said, Mitt, get the hell out of here? Just <laughs> that was about spin. a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're good friends. We talk all the time.
1: Uh, uh you know what i said he knows my phase of life he called me up the day i announced he said what th- the one friend i've got in washington and you're leaving <laughs> and, and then he said i was going to get a two-bedroom apartment and offer you a room so you don't have to sleep in your office anymore it was, it's kinda, it's, you know he's, he's got a pretty good sense of humor
0: probably would have been a big apartment
1: yeah yeah nice so
0: view. right he's got a little bit of coin yeah yeah yeah
1: he's gonna live on the hill i think um he still has a lot of public service service left in him mm-hmm. And I think uh, it's great that he's coming, and I think he feels a sense of civic duty. I think with John McCain passing, for example, Mitt believes that there is a role for him uh, in our party in being, you know, a statesman and a a standard bearer in our party. Um, I've encouraged him to go on the Foreign Relations Committee uh, to help. uh, I wasn't a big traveler in my earlier career. But when i became speaker i decided to do some some landmark codels for instance go to nato reassure nato how much we're supportive of nato Mm -hmm. uh, things like that i think mitt can do a lot of a lot of good for our country by uh serving in the foreign relations committee and representing us abroad so things like that i think are in his interest and in all of our interests and I've encouraged him to do that.
0: Should we look to him to to play some of that John McCain role? that he? Yeah, he will, he, there are very or, different people with different is, style. Yeah. I, don't,
1: I wouldn't look to him for that style. I would look to him as a, a leader who um, will be a standard bearer of our principles.
0: Okay. Um, what was that, the loss of 2012? I remember going to Iowa when you spoke at uh, the governor's birthday party. In yeah,
1: Terry's, yeah, give him that cheese head with the mustache on Yeah, it.
0: yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and you sort of opened up that night and talked about that two thousand twelve defeat, and it kind of stung you. Um, yeah, it's the only election I ever lost. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was. How did that? How did this month feel compared to that month? You weren't on the ballot this time, but how does? It, how do those two losses feel? Uh, different. When you're a speaker,
1: you get really invested in the members you get to know them and their families you learn about their goals and their aspirations and you become very emotionally attached to people Mm -hmm. you really do you know if you're a committee chairman you don't get that you get that if if you're if you're a leader and so I was very worried about a lot of my friends good people in Congress who were there for the right reasons and by the way the, the kind of members we lost are like the best of us yeah Corbello. good, Curbelo. good oh, you're touting of carlos Corbello. such a great member in congress for all of the right reasons uh a, a, a an important part of our party um and i obviously hope he s- sticks with it so carlos is a perfect example and our wives are friends and we're you know we're we're friends and yeah. you really feel for it so in that kind of an election you worry about the human side of it in the 2012 election it was the policy trajectories that really unnerved me, which was, I didn't like the direction Obama was taking the country, mm-hmm. uh, and we clearly had something else mapped out. And to see the, the the divergent trajectories was really unnerving to me from an intellectual standpoint. So, and emotionally from losing, of course, uh, I felt worse for Mitt than, than I went back to Congress, but, uh, and in this last election, I don't see a big divergent trajectory because we still have the Senate. We still have the White House. Um, it was, to me, more personal and emotional. Carlos is a perfect example. Of seeing Carlos lose,
0: um, <laughs> Saudi Arabia. Um, the Senate had voted yesterday in a pretty strong, symbolic rebuke. Um, sort of two questions. Uh, there's not a lot of time left. What is the House considering doing anything on this? And what do you believe happened?
1: Okay, so well, I won't. I don't want to get into classified other than we don't know all of the details that one would like to know. Uh, the circumstantial evidence is pretty strong. Um, let me first say, just from our branch of government, um, that we stand in solidarity with you in, in, in the Fourth Estate. Seriously, I mean that mm-hmm. very seriously. Uh, and I, I believe in real politic. I think there's a time and place for real politic. But only if, and I said this yesterday in my preface, only if your foreign policy speaks with very clear moral clarity to begin with. And we have to do a better job of that. Uh, I don't think the Yemen resolution is the smart way to go. Uh, we had a compromise resolution on this that we passed in the House a little while ago. Mm-hmm. I think this is exactly what the Magnitsky Act is for. This is why we wrote the Magnitsky Act. And there's more to do on that front. And the administration, I think, should do more on that front. So. Yes, we have lots of strategic interests in alignment with the Saudis. No two ways about it. Uh, for the Gulf, for Iran, for Israel, for everything. And, and those aren't going to go away, and those will persist. Still, we can speak with moral clarity. We can, make, we can take actions but, that, uh, that, 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 that address uh, these issues so that we're really clear to the world what we believe, and to dictators, you can't do this. Who speaks who has to speak. Well, that's why clarity. I think Congress it's, has to, I think, I think Congress
0: have to, because the,
1: yeah, the president yeah, doesn't why seem think, to be doing yeah, it. I know. That's why I think, um, I think Magnitsky is the way to go. And I think it's a smarter tool to use. And it's, it's, it's what we re- designed the tool for. And I think Congress can play a very constructive role in that.
0: Okay. And that falls to your successors because. The, yeah. Well, yeah, we're, we got like two weeks left. Okay. Uh, Margaret from Twitter asks about the the Trump ban back when he was banning the Washington Post from uh oh which out yeah. <laughs> yeah um <laughs> and and you know this goes to CNN and Acosta um has he created open hostility toward the media and is there is there some sort of role that congress can do well yeah i've given a little thought to this
1: um i'd say a couple of things he does create some hostility the jim acosta thing but it's a little bit of a two-way street um we in congress lead by example you've you go to every one
0: of my press conferences i think i always you, see you back there you and Debonis are yes, you, you i know where you a, sit you gave us the final question once as uh after yeah that's the right that's right so so but we that's what what else
1: so 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 obviously we should lead by example by keeping ourselves open yeah. uh, to 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 show that that's how we should conduct these things which is what we do But I think this goes to a broader point. And honestly, I wish I could have more time to think about these things. I'm looking forward to having more time to think about these things. And what I mean when I say this is the tribalism is just getting out of control. And I see the 21st century business model. And I'm not trying to to cast aspersions here, but the 21st century business model of getting hits and clicks and eyeballs on cable news, on websites, has created this incentive structure, a marketplace where polarization sells. You go to some of the leading websites out there and it, there are these algorithms that prey on division and polarization and people's fears. And that tribalism in our country, to me, is our undoing. In, as conservatives, we always believed that identity politics was a Solonsky tool of the left. Now it's being practiced on the right. So it's being practiced widespread, and those of us who abhor identity politics, which are center-right and center-left people, mm-hmm. we have got to figure out how, how the heck do we make what I call you know the old Jack Kemp, Ronald Reagan, aspirational, inclusive politics good again. How do, we cre- how do we make that successful? How do we make it so that the political consultants telling candidates, do this, don't do that, yeah. so that they say, do this aspirational, this works, it sells. How do we make that cool again. And I don't know the life of me for the example. So, yes, the president um, has a hostile relationship with the press. No two ways about it. But I think this is what the new norm is in this day and age. And we've got to figure out what the heck we do about it.
0: Uh, One of the new norms also seems to be um, plea deals and such. Um, I I just was told from inside that Michael Cohen is going to uh, plead to another count. And this one is lying to Congress about... Um, his connections to Russia, um, is this Congress capable of handling this investigation or are we just sitting back waiting for Bob Mueller to produce some sort of report?
1: I get this question from you guys for the last year, Bob Mueller has been left alone. I think he's gonna continue to be left alone. He's gonna finish his job whenever that is and, uh, and he will, he will be able to do his job as he should, uh, in, in, in its full. Uh, with respect to um, Russia and intelligence we've done thorough investigations on this issue uh, both chambers have and Obviously, I think we're capable of doing that but with respect to Mueller, uh, I'm not worried about his ability to, to do
0: a complete investigation
1: and do his job
0: This has been a struggle for a lot of us because you say you're not worried about it. Yes at the same time this president fired the FBI director. He pushed Jeff Sessions out at AG. Uh, just yesterday, he told the New York Post that he's open. He's not going to take the Manafort pardon off the table. Uh,
1: like, like I said, if I was really, really stressed about Bob Mueller, I'd do something. I'm not worried about Bob Mueller. Why
0: anymore. do you like th- this? I just have good reason a to believe
1: that 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 he is he is
0: because of conversations you've directly I, had. I with I the don't president? want to get into that.
1: Uh, I just don't think Bob Mueller is going to. I don't think he's going to be uh, interfered with.
0: You don't? Okay. I really don't. I mean, that's... It I'm is, not, I'm not, I'm
1: really, I really
0: do not, I believe he will be left to do his job. Have you directly told the president of what the fallout would be? I'll just, I,
1: I have a successful relationship with the president because I keep a lot of our conversations uh, between the two of us. By the way, that would be my advice to Nancy as well, and to Chuck, uh, which is, government still has to work I mean just because we, we've got to divide a divided government it's got to work and the branches have to have um, some kind of relationship and it is far more successful from my experience look we have a lot of heated conversations about lots of things but if you keep those conversations between two people and don't go talk about it you're gonna be more successful in achieving your goals and achieving outcomes that you you seek than going out and, and posturing to the media and scoring cheap political points. I think it's it. So that's that's always been my my attitude toward this, mm-hmm. and that would be my advice for my successors.
0: But in terms of you've got somebody lying to Congress, they're admitting that they're lying to Congress now. Is there anything? Cohen, you mean? Yeah, Cohen. Yeah, I
1: I just heard that now. Uh, well, he should be prosecuted to the extent of the law. Okay. Yeah. Um, three years. That's why ago. we put people under oath? I mean. So just pack it up for a second. Lying to Congress. That means he came and testified. That means we swore him under oath. Sure. That means we put him on the record. That means we did our job. That means we did our oversight. So, and the reason I I just heard this for the first time is because Congress did its job in conducting oversight of the executive branch and brought somebody in to testify under
0: oath, under penalty of of felony. Okay. Um, A few years back, you sort of took on a role... um, becoming House Speaker, you sort of took on a role as a sort of a moral compass, a moral conscience of the Republican Party, and you frequently would would chastise then-candidate yeah. Trump. Um, you have said now that you, you just keep those conversations quiet. Some p- critics, some form yeah, I know. old friends of yours feel like that has been an abandonment yeah. of the Paul Ryan that they knew. Pete Winters, a close friend of mine still is. Yeah. Uh, and- like, Bob Costa has him on speed dial. Yeah, he wants to yeah, get a yeah. Pete's well, a really good friend of mine. Uh, do, you t- do you guys still talk yeah, that group yeah. of friends? Uh, what is, yeah, what are yeah, all ever... and Pete,
1: and I are pretty close friends. Uh, I'm in governing mode. See, the thing is, you have to be willing, in these jobs, you have to be willing to take a lot of slings and arrows if you want to succeed. And to me, succeeding, again, I, I've been saying this for the last two years, our job, as I see it, is to build up the country's resilience, its antibodies, its health, its strength, so that whatever happens, we are stronger and better prepared as a nation for that. Mm -hmm. And making government work in a unified government, getting a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, it's the third unified government we've had in like 100 years, and really the first time where we weren't in like a, 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 a constant war footing, where we had a chance of passing a domestic agenda that can make a huge difference in people's lives. We ran on an agenda... We had an agenda. I laid out this big Gantt chart for the president for a two-year agenda. By the way, Gantt chart. Yeah, it's, You, a, it's you a work told us this chart. at a yeah. retreat. Yeah. Well, he, the guy built skyscrapers, so I figured he'd you know, yeah. relate to it. Um, and, and he did, actually. And the point I'm trying to make is I saw a chance of getting a lot of good policy done for the country that was in a long time in coming. And we got a great deal of it done. I've, I'm very gratified about it. And what I learned was working with the president on a confidential basis bringing concerns on lots of different issues personality issues policy issues temperament issues it is it you get a better outcome by keeping it that way than going out and posturing their job let's just say some of my friends their job is to go on tv and be a pundit that's not my job my job cool. is to try and make things work is to try and get good outcomes for for the american people is to pass good legislation to improve people's lives and to get good decisions made um, at all levels of government, so that we can advance this country's interests.
0: But see, they would look at that and say that you're just that that you've you've given the tax cut over sort of country's moral values. Like, what about Russia and Ukraine right now?
1: I don't, I don't, I just don't see
0: it that way. Okay, uh, should we do anything about uh, Russia's?
1: Yeah, sort of- uh, yeah, we should, we should, we should help Ukraine more. We should, we should show that the consequences are we sell them more weapons packages. We give them more aid.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of your legacy, what do you want it to be? What do you see it as?
1: You know, I'm not one of these big ego legacy guys. Uh, I like to think that I uh, took the opportunity I was given and made a positive difference in people's lives um there's two things that i'm most proud about um frankly as a congressman one of the cool things you get to do is you actually help people with their personal problems i mean i think of chrissy fields this young girl she was a cheerleader in milton wisconsin 17 year old she had a heart problem she needed a pacemaker that was only approved in europe wasn't approved here Mm -hmm. and was going to keep her alive and she was going to die and so you know you cut through the red tape you get this compassionate use waiver and she gets a pacemaker her mom she's a single mom very low income. We get the company to donate it. We get the doctors at Mayo to do it for free. You can do things like that as a congressman. It's really gratifying. So I, I just, I, I'm, I'm proud of some of those achievements. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also proud of getting um, um, our party to recognize debt. We haven't, I'm proud of the fact that the House, since I was budget chair, every year, every session has passed a budget that shows how we would balance the budget and how we would pay off the debt. Now the Senate never passed those budgets. And that's frustrating to me. But the House has said specifically, here's what we would do to balance the budget and pay off the debt. So I believe in our party, I was an, I mean, and I was, you know, ostracized when I first put this stuff out there back in like yeah. two thousand and seven. Ostracized. I mean, mm-hmm. my own party said run away from Ryan. Now we've passed those budgets every session in a row. I did it, Tom Price did it, Diane Black did it. And so I think Um, I've moved the ball on that issue, I feel, like, not as far as I'd wanted to, but a great distance. And then on the poverty issues, people don't really report this too much, but social impact bonds, opportunity zones, um, I think our members have gotten more attuned to this issue. It's the stuff that Bob Woodson and I preach about. Uh, It's the stuff I learned from Jack Kemp. I feel like we've made a great—evidence-based policymaking, we've made a really good impact on that. And then there's just certain things, like rebuilding the military and the tax system, Mm-hmm. Those are policy achievements I'm proudest of. But what I think it was, was getting our party, our members in the House in particular, to agree to an agenda, to run an agenda, have an election on an agenda and win. Now, House elections obviously get overshadowed by presidential elections. But we still ran on this better way agenda. We put it into place. We put most of these things into law. And we think people are really better off as a result of it. And that, I think, is
0: what I'm probably most proudest of all right we're just about out of time um do you have a big vacation planned <laughs> yeah well yeah I probably shouldn't say this
1: my my wife turns 50 pretty soon um and so she for some reason thinks it's cold in Wisconsin in the winter um and <laughs> so I'm taking her to the beach uh very soon after okay. we're done and uh and then I'm gonna do some hunting
0: all right uh, you've also waited tables at Tortilla Coast chairman of budget committee ways and means house speaker um, which of those would you do again <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I, waiting tables was a great experience i love that i love I, I there's never a job i didn't like it's funny you know work at mcdonald's i love working at mcdonald's i always liked my job I've, there's never a job i didn't like so i'm hoping to do some different jobs that are different than what i've done before
0: um final question both related to green if you could be the next head coach or general manager of the Green Bay Packers or ambassador to Ireland.
1: You you've, you and I have talked about this you've before. have talked
0: about Ireland, I yeah. know.
1: Yeah, that's the only other really government job I think I would aspire to in my 60s is to be the ambassador to Ireland. Um, and I think one day unification will occur, and I think that would be pretty cool. uh, uh G- general manager or president of the Packers? The the president of the Packers is a better job than general manager right. of the Packers. Okay. Yeah, but Mark Murphy's doing a good job. He's a great okay. guy. So,
0: yeah. all right, and that is the only other job you ever expect in government.
1: Well, I, it's just one of the jobs I would I, I openly think I would want to take one day down the road.
0: Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you very much. This might be one of his last interviews. Save it. Come back to WashingtonPost.com to watch it for the highlights. Thank you all for being here. And thank you, Speaker Ryan. You bet, Paul. Thanks much. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks
1: Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.